That was the opening music to Cover Girl, released in 1944 by Columbia, was that right? Yep, yep, Columbia Pictures, yeah. It wasn't an MGM musical, it was a a Columbia musical. No, it was the very first Technicolor musical that Columbia did in 19... It was their first one, 1944. Uh, Yeah, I read that it was the biggest moneymaker for them up until that point, so (laughs) that's pretty good. And you're listening to Classic Movie Reviews, and you can find us on the web at classicmoviereviews.net. And on Patreon, just go to patreon.com slash classicmoviereviews. And you can also listen to us in other spots, uh, such as Spotify and Apple Podcast. And you can find us on Facebook as well. So we're out there in all those places, as well as maybe other ones that I'm not sure about because our feed might have gotten picked up other places so uh yeah i'm matt johnson and i'm coming to you from north bend today where the rain has finally stopped so the river levels are going down that's a good thing good news and this is bob johnson in los angeles where we don't have any rain so send some our way soon we'll do welcome everybody back to uh, classic movie reviews and our discussion of cover girl with the beautiful rita hayworth this was her breakout film as it was with gene kelly yeah i was reading about that yeah well uh, kelly was under contract with the metro golden mayor and uh, they loaned him out to columbia for this because the picture that he was going to work on at mgm was delayed and columbia gave him the uh, kind of the full authority to do the choreography and and get all that set up and when MGM saw that on film, they said, well, we gotta, we got to develop this guy more than we have. And Rita Hayworth. Yeah, I read that, uh, the, that, that dancing number where the three of them are kind of dancing through the streets and yes. trying to avoid that police officer. Yes. Was all on a soundstage, and, and it was Gene Kelly's idea to knock the walls down between some of the sound stages so they could make it even bigger. And that was a forerunner to the dancing in Singing in the Rain where he... He sings uh, in the rain, obviously, and on the street. So that was that was interesting. It, you could definitely see some parallels. You sure could. Oh yeah, that, that dancing scene from Singing in the Rain, a real favorite of mine. But the way this movie is um, came out in I think it was March or April, 1944. So the war was still raging both in Europe and Asia, and I, I'm sure that this is a film that my mother went to as soon as it came out, because this would have been right in her favorite place to watch these these musicals. There's a bit of a story, but it's really the music and, and the beauty of the dancing. And during the war, I mean, it had to be a real uh, boost for morale. So I, yeah, I, I thought I it, was, it was interesting how they had that little vignette of them entertaining the troops in the back of that truck <laughs> yes right uh, well this the story uh rusty is our main our main character she works in kind of a oh an average dance club dance place that gene kelly owns and she wants bigger things and she learns that she could maybe get a tryout to be a cover girl for vogue magazine and guess what? They like her. In fact, they like her so much she gets offered another opportunity 
to be a, a big stage singing and dancing star. It's really it's fun. She has she has so much conflict going between. Do I want to stay here with Danny McGuire, or do I want to go on and and really be a famous cover girl? That's a that's a really nice story. I mean, it's there's not a lot of drama. There's some drama, but uh, and and oh, and then I can't forget Phil Silvers as genius. Oh man, he's so good. <laughs> he's so good. Dally, dally, dally. Nothing around here all day long but dilly dally. Oh gosh, I better get dressed. If I've said it once, I've said it a hundred times. You don't get there on the steps. You get there on your foot. I suppose it all depends on what you're after. Day and night, night and day, all I do is work and slave to try to keep this place with its head underwater. What happens? My number comes up, the joint goes to pieces. People sitting on the steps, chef quitting, noisy kitchen, girls always gabbing. It's not that I'm complaining here. Coming! My butcher shop, my grocery can keep on saying no sorry, but lack of this or that doesn't knock me flat. He was practicing for his role later in the 1950s as Sergeant Bilko. Yeah, or in the mad, 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 mad world. <laughs> oh, yes, that's right. That's right. Uh, so um, that's kind of a beginning of the plot. And, you know, it's, there's so much information on these films anymore with the internet. Uh, somebody noticed that what the, uh, there was a flub in the uh, film when her picture's on the cover, mm-hmm. and they open it up. I think somebody, I forget, they open it up, but there's no advertising on the back of the inside cover, of the front cover. Oh. And they commented <laughs> that that was the most valuable advertising space in the magazine. So how could there not be some? And I'm like, yeah, I missed that. <laughs> you know, I, I, well, it I, makes you wonder how many times they watch the movie to pick up on that. Jeez. Maybe they're watching it in slow motion or something. It's amazing. I thought it was interesting that on the covers of those magazines, at least in the movie, they didn't have any other headlines. It was just the name of the magazine and then the the headshot of the cover girl. My boy, is that different today? We get my magazine and it's got like 27 different things on the cover. Yeah, it's totally different. And I thought it was really cool because it was very sort of art driven you know it looked like a really well done well it was a really well done uh art photography kind of headshot and i i like the the scene where she was getting ready for that that session and they were doing all that makeup on her <laughs> it was mm-hmm. like there was about 12 people working on her at once all right stonewall let's get to work when i think what i've gone through trying to find a girl while all the time she was in your desk drawer i could scream I suppose you're finished with me. Finished with you? My dear child, we're just beginning with you. Just climb aboard my magic carpet and away we'll go. I have to believe that Rita Hayworth needed very little makeup yeah. for this movie, but I don't know. This is the first movie I've seen with Rita Hayworth. I, I of course, know of her and have heard a lot about her but i've never watched a movie with her in it oh oh there's two that she's done well she did many but two that are really favorites of mine one is with uh glenn ford it's gilda and and it takes place in i think argentina sort of a drama mystery double crossing romance it's got a little bit of everything murder it was made in the mid uh, right after the war 
And then another one that she made with Orson Welles, The Lady from Shanghai, which is really good. And you wouldn't recognize her because Welles was the director, I think, too, and he, I think they were married at the time, and he convinced her to dye her hair bright blonde. Oh, wow. And when it came out, the studio head for Columbia was really angry that, that Wells did that because it ruined her image. But she she uh-huh. plays kind of a, a femme fatale in the movie, so... But those are two. I read that Gilda was really well-received and reviewed, and and that, that was by the same director, Charles Vidor. Yes, yeah, he did Gilda, and uh, he did over 40 films. He had a long career. He sounds like he was a hard director to work with, though. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> imagine that. Yeah. Yeah, imagine that. And and kind of like up and down in terms of the quality of his movies, uh, depending on, I guess, how well he got along with whoever was on set. <laughs> I don't know. It was just uh, interesting reading about kind of some of the back behind the scenes stuff and how uh, he seemed like he could really pr- produce great movies, but it was very kind of inconsistent in terms of whether he could do it or not. It would be kind of fun, wouldn't it, to be in the shadows of a soundstage watching this production or any any film production from this era be, being made because each director had was so wildly different from the next one. Some were easy to work with and some were, were not so easy from what I've read anyway. Probably not a lot different today. Rita Hayworth, uh, one of the films she was in that I've never seen, and I'm not sure that I will, The Love Goddess. <laughs> I, I, I forgot to get the That's a the good e. title. I mean, it kind of leaves it up a lot to the imagination. It does. I forgot to put the year down for that one. But, but one that caught my eye as being really unusual, she was in a 1935 film, Charlie Chan in Egypt. Now Charlie there's another Chan one. That, Egypt. Yeah, oh, right. Geez. That's probably in the early stage of her career. She was made sixty-five films. Yeah, a lot, a lot more movies than I realized when we before we did this. I'd only seen this film one time before we did it for the podcast, and I selected it just because it did so well in the theater, and I knew my mother would have loved this film. I think she had a secret love of Gene Kelly and his dancing. So well, they were they were good together. Yeah, it's like yeah, they were. I like the chemistry that they had in the movie, and and uh, they were both kind of stubborn, you know. Like, and I think that that got them into trouble with each other and kind of the direction that their lives took. Very much, but so. it all ends happily at the end. It of does, course. doesn't it? I mean, yeah. Well, that's. That was kind of the musical format from those times. Uh, did you uh, enjoy Eve Arden as Cornelia Jackson? She, she was, was she the one that was working with the um, no, not Dan. Let's see. No, she did the evaluation uh, on on who would make it to the Cover Girl. Maureen Martin, please. Lucky God, wish me luck. That girl has a really lovely figure. If she knew how to walk. Ever done any modeling before? No, but all you have to do is keep still, isn't it? That always helps. Oh, does it matter that I've never modeled? No, in this case, we prefer it. 
Now sit down and stand up again several times. I mean stand. You're a very pretty girl. A little on the brash side, however. Our girl has to be quiet and demure. After all, the cover is a bride. Who's the girl with you, the one with the red hair? Oh, she works in the same joint. I mean, the same nightclub in Brooklyn I do. Danny McGuire's. Why? She's pretty. Now smile directly at me. And she looks relaxed. If only you gals could realize how important that is to be quiet and relaxed. Nice teeth. Well, keep your nightlife down and your hopes up. You may hear from us. Thank you. Goodbye. Who was the who? John Cordaire, right? John Cordaire, oh, played yeah. by Otto Kruger. He's the he's was Cornelia's looking, boss. Yeah, he's looking for a cover girl for his magazine, and and he's got um, what's her, what's her name? Uh, Eve Arden. Eve Arden. Eve Arden, and yeah, Eve Arden as Cornelia Jackson. As, as kind of leading the, the effort to find somebody. And she says she's looked at 10,000 different people. And then he finds, he finds uh, Rita Hayworth's character, Rusty Parker. And just, I don't know, out of coincidence, it's the, it, that was a funny scene when he finds out it was the granddaughter of the woman that he loved, who, who was named Maribel Hicks. We saw you quite by accident, I confess, at Danny McGuire's place last night. You danced beautifully. I've had good training. Apparently. It seems to come to you so naturally. I was wondering if someone in your family were a dancer. Your mother, perhaps? Oh, no. My mother couldn't dance a note. Mm. She raised cattle. Cattle? <coughs> of course, my grandmother was a dancer. I don't suppose you ever heard of her. Maribel Hicks? Your grandmother? Oh, my goodness, how time flies, doesn't it? She was kind of a star. Well, it seems I've uh, mislaid a few years somewhere. <laughs> yeah, I I say that every day. Yeah, I was <laughs> like, I, I could relate. Wow. I know, yeah. Well, I always enjoyed Eve Arden. She, uh, another film that we haven't done, but, uh, but we should with Joan Crawford, Mildred Pierce, which won an Academy Award, or several probably. Eve Arden was in that, and... My memory as a kid was she used to be really funny on a radio show called Our Miss Brooks. She was a teacher <laughs> at some mythical high school in the Midwest. Our Miss Brooks, yeah, she. I believe she, she made the jump to to film, huh? Well, she was in films and then she radio kind of simultaneously. Then she jumped oh, okay. to TV and then she was in all all of those media at basically the same time. I she was look. she was good. She she played off the sort of aloof and yet likable character. I thought like by the end, I, I I appreciated her character. She wanted to do the right thing, and she was trying to get uh, John Cordaire to to do the right thing as well. Yeah, she was excellent as sort of this the the uh, second person 
as, that the that the lead could play off of. I think most of the films that she was in, that's that was her role. I I, I kind of mixed up the plot a little bit. I think uh, it was uh, Noel Wheaton that that wanted to put Rusty in the musical on uh, Broadway. Yeah, Noel Noel Wheaton did, and he was played by Lee Bowman. He did a good job of playing sort of a smarmy. <laughs> <laughs> well-to-do sort of uptown kind of person not not overly bad just sort of like a little little smarmy yeah nice to see you mr mcguire nice to see you too mr Coudere. i guess i am a little mixed up your message said rusty would be here at a party yes well we changed plans at the last minute and uh, we well won't you sit down and have a drink with me thanks where is rusty mr Coudere? I don't really know. She and Mr. Wheaton had some sort of an evening figured out, I understand. But this isn't even the right direction for Mr. Coudere's house. You've been kidnapped. You like it? <laughs> well, you're not very complimentary, beautiful. You're not even scared. What are you talking about? Aren't we going to a party? Sure we are. But uh, I just want to stop by my theater first for a couple of minutes. You see, uh, I have kind of a problem that I thought maybe you could help me with. All right? Well, I suppose so. Uh, but won't Mr. Couture wonder where we are? Uh, I don't think so. No. Yeah, not, 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 not evil or anything like that, but just sort of a little bit self-absorbed. And he, you know, I, I, I liked... I don't like that they were this way, but I like the way that they played it, you know, for the script it was good. Just how self-absorbed both uh, Noel Wheaton were and also John Cordaire, just thinking that they could have whatever they wanted because they had money, you know. And, and yeah. of course these women would want to marry us because we're rich and we can give them anything they want. And, I mean, if they love us, that's that's nice too, right? So it reminded just... me of the characters in Christmas uh, in Connecticut. There were, you know, the owner of the, the editor of the magazine, yeah, yeah, exactly. Sydney Greenstreet, and then that poor architect. Yeah, yeah. They, there was some kind of a similar thing where they thought they could just do whatever they wanted. Yeah, money, uh, but yeah. yeah, it didn't. It didn't work out for them though, <laughs> for either no. of them. <laughs> no, it didn't. And, and love like wins just... out in the end. Love wins out in the end. I, I can't. I can't uh, fail to mention one of the best songs ever written, "Long Ago and Far Away." Oh yeah, was produced. That's so pretty. That's a that's a collaboration of Jerome Kern and Ira Gershwin. And uh, man, it's 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 as popular in my head today as it was seventy five years ago. Name and all the papers, big stars sending you pretty dresses for nothing. Oh, that was terrific tonight, wasn't it, Danny? You bet it was terrific. Best goodbye music I ever danced to. Yeah, tonight was really terrific. See a thing like that happen right under your eyes. Something you wanted for someone all their life. You haven't known me all my life. Six months then. Seven. Seven then. Seven months, three days, four hours, 23 minutes. It was Tuesday. Long ago and far away, I dreamed. 
That dream is here beside me Long the skies were overcast But now the clouds have passed You're here at last Chills run up and down my spine Aladdin's lamp is mine The dream I dreamed was not denied me Just one look and then I knew That all I longed for long ago was you dream is here beside me long the skies were overcast but now the clouds have passed you're here at last chills run up and down my spine Aladdin's lamp is mine the dream my dream was not denied me Just one look and then I knew That all I longed for Long ago was That's definitely the standout song and, and number for me. And you know, it, it lends itself to the war. Yeah. I'm thinking about totally. long ago and far away, and here's millions of people all over the world that haven't been home for three or four years. It's perfectly set for that. Um, the, the way the movie opens is great, too, because you, you get a real sense that this is not like a top-notch Broadway show. Um, they seem a little bit disorganized. They don't seem quite in sync when they're dancing. Yes. You've got you've got Danny McGuire off on the side kind of like frowning and shaking his head. And, and then they come off the stage and he's... It, but he's he's sort of like... He wants them to be really good, you know, and he's trying to encourage them. And, you know, he's going to have practice an hour early the next, the rehearsals an hour early the next day. And they're not too happy about that because they've got, one of them has this cover girl contest that she wants to enter. And she's going to, she's going to have to miss rehearsal to go do that. I'm pretty sure that was played by Leslie Brooks. Maureen Martin was kind of her show rival at the beginning and wanted to be the cover girl. And then Rita Hayworth's character, Rusty Parker, kind of tags along. And, and <laughs> there's a funny scene when Maureen kind of throws her under the bus by telling her that she needs to be very oh. loud and, and yeah. animated. <laughs> Trying to sabotage in for the interview her. And yeah. She goes in for the interview and, uh, yeah, it, let's see, Cornelia Jackson uh, was not having it. She says... I have some photographs here if you'd like to see. No, I'd rather you wouldn't take them out if you don't mind. I don't feel up to capturing them if they should get loose. I think there's something you can take. I'd find out about it if I were you. Take? For what? Those glands. They're going to turn on you one of these days. <laughs> yeah, right. And her delivery of that's that's perfect, Eve Arden. 
She did. Yeah, she was, had so deadpan. Yeah. So Cornelia says to John Cordero, I've got somebody for you. I think you're really going to like her, but we need to go. Uh, she And she's a, she's a dancer at this little club in Brooklyn. And they end up going and he, he immediately uh, recognizes Rusty Parker as somebody that he, he knows or, or is super familiar. And so then he wants to meet Rusty instead of Maureen. And that just, <laughs> Cornelia was like beside herself, like, why do I even bother? <laughs> <laughs> I have to admit, though, that, that, uh, that uh, at the end, near the end of the film, uh, John Cordaire does kind of redeem himself a little bit when he explains to her. They all do, like yeah, John does, and, and also Noel Wheaton does too, because he sort of realizes that this isn't the right thing and that he needs to let her go. So I like that, I mean, for this kind of a movie, I like that everything got wrapped up at the end. Yes, and it, they did it all in under two hours. Yeah. <laughs> it's amazing. It was a pretty long movie, an hour and 50 minutes almost. Yeah. I I, uh, I enjoyed it a great deal, and... and um, Columbia wanted to do, uh, well, they did a, a movie a few years later called Pal Joey, and they uh, they wanted to uh, have Gene Kelly play in it, but MGM by now wouldn't let him, wouldn't loan him out. So They had him locked down after that, I bet, because he became such a huge star. So Frank Sinatra played the part. But the, the concept that they were loaning out stars and being paid for loan outs and all, in today's world of entertainment... It's just such a throwback to another time where they were under contract. Yeah, we were talking, I I remember a few episodes back we were talking about United Artists and how that was kind of the the new way of making movies. And now it's like you, you, it's even more like that, right? So to make a movie, you have to get people who are interested in investing in it and they become producers or executive producers and then... You've, you've got to find a director or maybe you have a director that you're working with and, and some actors and sometimes the actors are big enough stars where they're involved as producers. <laughs> and so it's like this huge sort of like um, effort to get everybody together to make it, to put enough money into it to get all the right people to put the production together. And this it's just such an interesting concept to have a studio who's in charge of all that and sort of have like a studio executive or studio head who's approving okay we're going to do these movies and we're going to yeah. do you know these are going to be the directors and you're yeah. going to attach these stars to them and that's just not at all how movies are made today and call some other studio and see if they will loan us so and so for that film well they were so ver- <clears throat> the studios were so vertically integrated too because then they owned the major theaters in all the major markets, medium-sized markets. They even owned a theater in Billings, Fox did, 20th Century Fox. And that all ended in the late 40s when they were required to divest themselves from being that vertically integrated. They went from the... It was like a production where where it was like production line, from the early ideas to the making of the film, all the things you said, under contract. And then they had their own place to deliver it so really it really there was very little entry for freelancers huh you know that as we're thinking about it though and talking about it I'm, I'm wondering like netflix or or uh disney with like their franchises of marvel and star wars and and in a way it is a little bit more like the studio setup so like netflix will 
I guess they get pitched different ideas, but I, I they're they're a bit more vertically integrated as well, right? Instead of theaters, they have their online yeah. distribution. Yeah. And and with Disney, they have their franchises, and those actors are kind of under contract for a number of movies to 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 you know play Captain America or, or whoever. But it's still it's still not nearly as tightly controlled as it was back in the 30s. One of the things that's fascinating for me in the 20s, 30s, 40s, and early 50s is there were so many, well, not many, but there were two handfuls of really dominant chief executive officers for these film studios. And uh, they were, in and of themselves, these great personalities. Oh, yeah. Daryl F. Zanuck, Cohen, uh, Louis B. Mayer, Jack Warner, they were they were almost as well known as the actual stars out in front of the camera. Well, and they had so much power, yeah. you know, to make or break somebody's career. And I think part of the blacklisting was enabled by kind of that that kind of control, right? So, um, you know, later in the fifties, they were able to just lock out certain people. Yeah, it was it was a tightly knit group. Yeah. Yeah. Well, back to the cover girl, um, which I really enjoyed a lot. I love the music, especially long ago and far away. I would give it a, an eight on my rating scale, for uh, not a ten or a nine, just because it doesn't have a lot of plot or doesn't have a lot of of the drama and the scope and complexity of a. Of a, even the Wizard of Oz, but for what it was, it was, it was a blockbuster and and very very uh, enjoyed by millions of people. Yeah, I really enjoyed it too. And and there were two, I would say two standout dance numbers for me that I'll, I would kind of took my breath away. Uh, one was when Gene Kelly was dancing with himself and his sort of like oh, his that, reflection. That, yeah, almost like a ghost. Yeah. Wait a minute, Danny McGuire. She stood you up and you know it. She's out with Wheaton and you know that too. So she's out with Wheaton. What difference does it make? Danny! Don't be such a hard-headed Irishman for once. If you really loved Rusty, you'd let her go. Coderre's right. You have nothing to give her. Wheaton has everything. Hey! Danny! You can't run away from yourself. You've got to make up your mind about this, and I'm going to see that you do it now. Wait a minute! Stop! Yeah, that was so technically well done, and and it also made me appreciate like how well done it could be today. Because there, I did see some some things that wouldn't be issues today with like camera tracking and whatnot. But it was so it was still really really cool. And then the other one, which I was just really impressed with, was at the at the end when Rita Hay- Hayworth's character was on Broadway, and she came down that enormous ramp yes. from the clouds. And I was like, is she 
really up that high and is she, she's not strapped in? That looks so dangerous if she tripped and fell. She looked like she was about 50 feet off the ground. I know. And then, and then, and then she came all the way down, they did this dance number, and then there was about 20 other dan male dancers on stage, and then they kind of followed her up the ramp, and she went back to the clouds, and I was just like, wow, that was impressive. It was super cool looking. The, the uh, setup for that, you know, just shows the creativity and genius of Gene Kelly. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was brilliant. I could just see the people at MGM saying, wow, we didn't know that he did that kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> We're never letting him go anywhere else. <clears throat> and, and, I lo and I love that every single musical that we've done has had, like, one number that really just was an eye-popper, like a, a really memorable yep. number. And, and I, I think for me, it probably is that final one on Broadway because I'll remember that one forever. Um, but yeah, I think overall it was just a it was just a pleasant kind of enjoyable, fun, endearing story. There wasn't a lot of drama. The drama that was created was mainly because uh, Rusty and Danny couldn't communicate about the fact that they really did love each other and wanted to stay together. But yeah, I, I'd give it an eight as well. I think that seems reasonable. My my beloved mother, if she were here, would give it a ten plus. <laughs> well, I read that they. they I read that it was so popular when it came out that it was held over for many many weeks in some of the smaller cities because people just kept going to it. I could see that. Oh yeah, yeah. It was really fortunate. Well, so that's uh, that's Cover Girl with the beautiful Rita Hayworth. Uh, so our, we're, we're headed to, to where are we going next year in our journey of podcasting? Yes, yeah, so I've lost next my we're place. coming up to uh, a series of films which we're just calling People of Color oh, in Film. Yes, there we go. And uh, we have Farewell to Manzanar, uh, Bridge to the Sun, Mystery, Mystery Street. Street, yeah, and then a bonus show for Tier 3 on Patreon, which we have yet to decide what we're going to do there but yeah that's what's coming up next uh, again uh turner classic movies is is right on the spot because two days ago i was able to watch mystery street with ricardo montabon Jeez, uh, so it, it is it's eerie and it what i the reason it's on this list for our podcast is he plays a straight ahead detective in boston and cape cod uh, in an era in 1950 when uh, he was he was having trouble getting parts other than sort of being the uh, the Latin uh, singer and dancer. So it was sort of a breakout role for him. And there's a little bit of tension in the film that re is reflecting that. But, uh, man, it's, it's really well done. It's a forerunner to all the NCIS shows that are on now. Yeah, and Farewell to Manzanar, I think I mentioned this in an earlier show, is available on YouTube, at least as of when I checked yesterday. Um, and so you can watch it there. That was a TV movie that came out in the 70s about the Japanese internment camp at Manzanar. And uh, it's really, really good. So that's our upcoming up, up list. And uh, all right. Yep, so that's our review of CoverGirl. And coming to you from North Bend, this is Matt Johnson. And uh, in Los Angeles, this is Bob Johnson wishing you all happy movie watching. I dreamed was not denied me. Just one look and then I knew that was.
Let's keep on singing, make way for tomorrow. The sun is bringing a new day tomorrow. Don't let the clouds get you down. Show me a smile, not a frown. Stand up and win, turn about. Don't give in, let's give out. To the blues, just refuse to surrender. One smile and you are a true solid tender. We have a uh, we have listeners all over. <laughs> Nancy's Nancy's talking to our friends in Coeur d'Alene. She listens all the time. <laughs> Nancy said, "Really, you listen?" She, she, she said, "Yeah, it was really enjoyable and funny." <laughs> so, you know, I'm like, I had no idea. But, but uh, Nancy Nancy was having a good time at my expense because I do very little to market anything. Oh yeah. Well, neither do I yeah. really. She has all these cards, and Nancy's always handing them out. Did you listen to that? And blah blah. blah. And I'm like. So my defense was this, see if you think it was appropriate. I said, hey, I'm the talent. I don't have to do that. Right, right. That's what my agent's for. <laughs> <You're> right. <laughs> <laughs> of, of whom I have none. 